0: Welcome to Dragon's Cast, a podcast by Drexel alums about the basketball program we all love. In this episode, we sat down with women's head coach Denise Dillon exactly two weeks before their season was set to begin. One note, a production malfunction on my part meant the beginning of the interview was lost. In that part, we discussed Coach Dillon's induction into the Cardinal O'Hara Hall of Fame and how sophomore guard Hannah Nihill surprised her by getting the Drexel roster to come to the ceremony. That O'Hara connection has come full circle bringing Nyhill to Drexel. One of the first players Denise recruited was Kat Scanlin out of O'Hara in the early 2000s. A pipeline out of the other Philly Catholic League schools like Archbishop Carroll and more recently, Archbishop Wood has provided a core of the team over the years. It's also meant that there are some high school rivalries on the roster, and the players from out of the area get a kick watching them bicker. Among those out-of-town players, Denise mentioned Keshana Washington and her desire to be the team's first Canadian player. International recruiting led by coach Amy Mallon has added a ton of talent in its own right, and the professional careers of former Drexel players like Gabby Marginian, who come from international circles, has bolstered the program's name abroad. As the episode begins, we were talking about the state of women's basketball in the Colonial Athletic Association as a whole.
1: the intent to get more people in the seats. And...
2: Exactly. Uh, we talked about just putting forth a, a better product with the setting. I mean, for so many years, I mean, when I started, uh, you had Wendy Larry, who is such a big advocate for women's basketball, who just thought it was so important to have that neutral site. Uh, and I understand it. I get it. If you're, you have that uh, connection, you're getting people in the stands. But when we were at Upper Marbell, you're, you're looking at it with, Delaware at that time had Elena Delano, so she was drawing, we could have been up in Boston, and uh, the people were going to travel. It's it's recognizing uh, when is the right time, and, and when do you have to uh, regroup and, and get people back, and I think that's where we stand right now at the CAA. And you look at it, JMU, uh, your prior, the first year when we went back to campus sites, yeah, they had a great crowd. Do we want to be down in Harrisonburg? No, not really, but we have to understand just the competitive environment and the setting. And the reality of it is we had also said when we're on campus is, is it the advantage of that team? Well, you go back to 09 when we played at JMU, you know, we won and we went uh, the following years there at JMU, they, they won it in, in 10, but then we went to the neutral sites and it was a little bit of the, the balance. But back to campus sites at JMU, Elon beats them. Here at our place, Elon wins a game. Again, so you're not feeling that it's the complete separation. It's showing that the conference is really strong. It's really solid and not the advantage of that home team. So we'll see, you know, with Delaware hosting. Again, I I think they would have been a a favorite in a sense uh, with Uh, and they still could because it's their home court but I do feel you have that balance you're going to get a great crowd and they really run it like a tournament I I thought that's what was special for each of our teams last year we ran this like a tournament it wasn't our tournament Drexel uh, hosting all these teams they felt it was a tournament setting and that sort of environment where uh, the balance was there.
0: And they put that giant sticker at mid
1: court. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I
2: think we might get a little change with that one. That was wild. They
1: couldn't. Cha- they couldn't cover all of James use logos because they would have to cover they, the entire court. They should have just put the ugliest court in college basketball. Mm-hmm.
0: So. <laughs> um, so for the upcoming season, yes. Do you have your own benchmark of we need to be at least this, or else we really missed our opportunity this year
2: uh at this point, it's, it's hard to gauge you know, we have our first scrimmage uh tomorrow and then exhibition next week uh I think that will be the the, the telltale i mean if we we had this conversation next week, I could probably uh give a little bit more, but i never try and put a a number or an expectation on. The team, with the exception of, let's know what we're doing and why we're doing it, and you guys just continue to give uh, the effort necessary and work. And I, I feel that's been a uh, a constant with our teams. Uh, it, it's an absolute pleasure to show up every practice with this team. Like their their effort is there. Their understanding isn't at this point, but we'll get there. Yeah. You know, but we wouldn't get there if they weren't willing to put in uh, the work. So, and it's not just the work when we have them for two, two and a half hours. It's uh, extra shooting they do. They go on their own. I and mean, Hannah Nighill was just saying it the other day. She's like, "Well, I talked to Mara uh, if she wanted to play some one on one, like on the weekends." <laughs> I thought it was the the funniest line. I was like, "Yeah, and that's definitely what Mara's like." Yeah, I'll play one on one so you can just go by me pretty quick. But it was it was great. Like just her realizing hey, they're talking to you about defense. We can just play some extra one-on-one. Like they really enjoy playing the game of basketball. And with that, you can do so much. So there isn't a, a number with this group. Again, we're finding our identity. We're finding what our edge is. But they need some game experience besides the inner squad, uh, scrimmage that we've had, and against some of our, our T-shirt team. I think they need to see what they are in a a real game setting yeah. thankfully we get those two before so I don't want to wait to Quinnipiac to see who they are, <laughs> I want to have that idea and uh, really prepare them
0: when you say t-shirt team is that mm-hmm. the what I noticed in the practice last year that it was I believe the men's club team that you mm-hmm. often practice against, is that what the t-shirt team is? exactly, oh, okay. yeah
2: so we, uh, Shell Baker does some recruiting for the uh, t-shirt team uh, that's what we say because we go blue and white and then they're t-shirts yeah. Uh, so yeah they're great they're they're committed they're here every day early uh, on the weekends uh, yeah they're around and working out the girls in the summer so they're part of the team yeah. and uh, we have Kelsey Lidge who's finishing up with her student teaching she's around on the weekends and Sarah Woods as a grad assistant here so they come to practice and I, I just I think that's really special you know it shows their commitment to this program and uh, them wanting to help Players uh, as well, even though their time as uh, eligible athletes has ended as expired, but uh, they are continuing to give back to the program.
0: Is it always your goal to have one of your former players fill that grad assistant role? It
2: is important. I I feel that anyone who uh, aspires to coach again at any level, uh, we want to help. You know, we want to help guide and. Uh, grow that experience uh, but it's extremely important uh, for your own you know again you see what they do for the program uh, how they represent this university uh, first class manner. you want to you want to keep that around uh, and there's often times where I say it, and I remind myself Stacy and I was like if you, you just let me know if you want to do something else I don't want to feel like oh we'll keep you here forever <laughs> which I would love but yeah. it's not the reality uh, so yeah we um Love having you know Sarah Woods around and involved, and again when Kelsey finishes with her student teaching, uh, seeing what's next for her. I actually would like to see Kelsey continue to play, yeah. and I think she's looking into it as well. Um, some different options with pursuing her her masters. So yeah. yeah.
1: So we had three players preseason uh, make the preseason team: you, had Bailey Greenberg. There's actually just a. There was an article on her in the Inquirer. I think how yeah. she says she doesn't being a vocal leader doesn't necessarily come naturally, but you know she, she yep. kind of has to be. Um, and then you have Aubrey Bowne and Hannah Naiho, who was the the first uh, rookie of the year since Gabby, I believe. Yeah. Her and Kat Scanlon. So right. we've had I a good have. track record with. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Um, so you're looking at, uh, you're looking at those three as your on court leaders Absolutely. this year. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, most definitely. We um, we have a lot of conversations about it because you can't assume uh, because of their experience and their recognition that it's just going to happen. So, uh, yeah, you often need that guidance. And, again, Bailey Greenberg looks at, sees it like, well, Kelsey was so vocal last year and uh, just did so much in getting us together. And I had to explain to her, I said, okay, but what did Kelsey your freshman year like she wasn't that person she knew now it was her role as a senior so we had meg creighton uh, who was a great uh, communicator and leader on the floor and off uh, so it is your role changes and i bailey really has embraced that you know she uh, has great conversations with her teammates she's always looking out for them and that's important that's off the court and i said on the court you know do what you do it'll start coming more naturally uh, the the vocal part when you're comfortable with this role so but her willingness to do it already you know speaks volumes to uh, her awareness of how important it is uh, Hannah Nighill is a big one she we, we would joke she was basically a mute last year like, a <laughs> mute she wouldn't say anything but now you hear her, like she's really working uh, with the freshmen you know uh, is out there uh, early and often uh, within our rotation and uh, she's really trying to guide her along and and again, you're worried about somebody uh, next to you, one of your teammates more so than you it's only going to excel your game and Aubrey Brown, I say she just, she can really direct and play the game of basketball there's not a lot of players who can do that because they get so focused and fixated on what they need to do, but she's doing a, a really good job of uh, facilitating out there even though she's not in that point guard position but the ball's in her hands often so yeah they they're embracing it. they're trying to find ways that it's a little more comfortable for them or how this team will respond but again their willingness to do it uh we'll get there <laughs> we'll definitely get there
0: is there any player that you could just bring back from the past and have them for one more year that you would add
2: i would i would say holly Marchant. yeah yeah With the reason I'd say Holly, a combination of her just love and joy of playing the game um, and the way she would talk to her teammates. Like she she was very demanding, but at the same time uh, she was very real about it too. Like she just was on a mission in her career she was on a mission to prove that she was better than some people thought Um, she was determined that her teams were going to be successful and her senior year uh, again she was best friends with uh, her class and Fiona Flanagan Taylor Wooten and Renee Johnson Allen and they just had such a great balance because of Holly's ability to just call them out and be like well I'm not giving you the ball, tag because you don't want it. And Taylor's like, no, I want it. Well, if you want it, then you're going to catch the ball when I throw it to you. So just that kind of conversation. You know, she knew that she could say anything on the court, and then stepping off, they were still going to be the best of friends. Uh, yeah, I think we have some people that I think we can mold into that uh, and be okay with saying some things that they're not, your friends aren't going to be bothered uh, off the court. Uh, but, yeah, Hollywood definitely helped. With uh, this group getting familiar with that attitude early.
0: Yeah. You you mentioned their senior year, the WNIT year. Where does that stack up compared to the NCAA tournament berth you had?
2: Well, it's obviously the NCAA berth was extremely uh, special because it was the first and just with the run, Old Dominion winning 17 years in a row and us being that first team in the CAA uh, to knock them off uh, Yeah, that that was incredible uh, But what that team Did With the, the WNIT run Was remarkable Considering The loss to Delaware In that CA championship uh, and, and for them to recover And again, Holly Marchand, uh I'll, I'll say she was the one She could have been the first To just be completely defeated uh, But she was the one who The day after sent an email to the team or a text she sent a text and I don't think she was aware that uh, she had sent it to me as well and it was basically I can't say like get your heads (laughs) out of your butt like we we got practice tomorrow Uh, we have another championship we have another chance at a championship wow Uh, yeah let's do it so and she also did promise her, her team. She said, if we win this, I'll take you all on a cruise. That cruise has not happened.
0: <laughs> I was talking so, with her about her Swedish team, and I think their owner promised them the same thing uh, <laughs> if they win a Swedish League oh, championship or Europe League, whatever it is. Yes. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. So, again, just having that mindset is... I learned so much from these players. And uh, the two, I would say, with the determination and decision that they made, Holly... Rashad and Kelsey Lidge to just lead their team um, to, I can't even say the unknown, to what they faced, like what they uh, wanted to do.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those two years that uh, that Delaware ended up winning the championship, as a fan they aggravate us so much because obviously everyone knows Deladon was originally committed to UConn, came back to Delaware, wasn't even going to play. And then comes and plays yeah. for them, obviously, the best talent in the league yeah. uh, for those years. But they kind of blocked those two exactly. years from us. But even with her playing, we almost beat them yeah. in that CA championship, which I speak, I think speaks volumes. Yes.
2: And that's why I think they, that group was uh, definitely one of our uh, best teams. They're proven. I mean, obviously, you win a, a national championship yeah. with the WNIT. They proved that they were yeah. you know, one of our best teams, most... Talented, uh, and not so much in the skill set, but just as a team, mm-hmm. the way they worked uh, defensively, they were impressive. It was uh, really great. But yeah, I also look at it, Marshall. You can put a a spin on it. Yeah. Delaware, the rival. Yeah, it's it's yeah. excruciating those <laughs> games. But Elena Deladon raised the level of competition for all of the, the teams in the CA. But uh, I think that is why, again, Holly Mershon just worked even harder. Like she had that mindset that she was uh, going to be good when she got here and uh, develop into the player she wanted to be. Uh, but that was a mentality when she knew we were facing Elena Dalda. Everybody, the practices were tremendous, and just the they were the focus they were like what do you want us to do we'll Hmm. do it like whatever you tell us we're going to try it so (laughs) you don't get that uh if you're not facing one of the best player in the country yeah so i think it it was the attention to detail was on high alert uh with those games Hmm. and again you talk about the crowd there are no better crowd here at the DAC when Delaware came into the building
0: yeah i think we had the first ever women's sellout Right at that Delaware game, mm-hmm. it's my—it's the moment that I put on the deck pack walk. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So those games were great, uh, and you hold on to that uh, CA championship game. Uh, you wanted it so badly for that team, and yeah. a foul here and a, a botched play there. Uh, but I will tell you, we win the WNIT against Utah because of. The play call uh, at the end of that Delaware game where it got botched, and it was basically in Utah. Here's an opportunity, very similar situation, balls on the side, and it was immediate. Like, all right, just get the ball to Holly. You know, we we talked instead of it going to someone else to Holly, we went directly to Holly, the drive to the basket, uh, and the score. So, yeah, yeah, and was there a great defensive play prior with Renee stealing the basketball, Renee Johnson Allen, to give us that opportunity? No doubt, but. Yeah, so you learn from those game situations and came out with a huge win in the end.
0: I think that team was honestly talented enough for an at-large, and you just look back elsewhere in the season, and this is leading to a question, but as fans, we look back at individual moments throughout a season, and we're just like, oh. like." And for me, that season, it was the end of the St. Joe's game where Holly gets hit in the face with an elbow. Refs somehow don't call it. It should have been the end of the game at there because she should have been shooting free throws. St. Right. Joe's Comeback, nails the three, and I think that was the game winner at yeah, the buzzer. It was. And I feel like if that had been a win, then it's a whole different right. picture and you may be an at-large team. As a coach, do you have to let those types of things go? Or yeah. do you sit on them and learn from them?
2: Well, you do learn from them, but you have to let it go then because if the players are holding on to it, then it's an excuse as to why... Uh, they're not you know, winning in the CAA when we get to that point uh, yeah. or uh, getting hosed at the end of the season. So you have to let it go then, but it is the learning experience. And I mean, you even think about the South Carolina game that year. Yeah. I mean, here's an opportunity. We're up first half or down third place. We're up significantly. Of course, they come back and you're expecting that, but we have an opportunity with the ball underneath, the score, and it's a miss for the win. Mm-hmm. So – Yeah, you're aware of all these little intricacies, but you often say to them, the game cannot be, uh, it can't be a winner or a loss, the last possession. It's got to be won throughout the contest. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a uh, just miscommunication on defensive end against St. Joe's. Why? Because we were angry the ref didn't call the foul. Yeah. So how are we going to respond? Where we'll bring it back to the Utah game. Similar situation. It was Taylor and Holly in the. St. Joe's game, the lack of communication. It was Taylor and Rachel Pearson, who was only a freshman in that Utah game, and Taylor was definitely not going to allow it to happen. It was like it slow mo. She pushed Rachel out to contest the three. Mm-hmm. Where in St. Joe's game, there was you know no pushing of the player to get out there to contest the three. So yeah. again, opportunity, lesson learned. You win the game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it is like we just we talked earlier in this conversation about that one game that's going to. Uh, get you over the hump for the NCAA tournament. And it was unfortunate. It was almost the how baby Elena Deladon was. Again, nationally, the NCAA, they didn't give the respect to the conference yeah. for what they accomplished. Again, if we had beaten them maybe the, in the regular season, at one game, yeah, it would have moved us in. But she was here, and the CAA was here. Uh, again, up yeah. top, and CA was in the middle, and it didn't carry the weight. I, I think if they continued... And that's when it started with us only getting the one uh seed. Or, or the one team bid. Uh but I felt if they had kept us on path, us the one year, maybe JMU the other, uh the CA would have remained uh a top contender.
1: Yeah. Is that is that one or two bid league uh bid league is that something that is also not just a strategy of Drexel, but is that something that the league it itself is trying to say, well, what do we have to do? Because yeah. you'll always have, it seems like, especially on the men's side, you always have, they're always willing to make excuses for the major programs, mm-hmm. but not for the mid-majors. Because the CA has a ton of talent at the top, but you could, you could point to the bottom saying, well, the RPI isn't there for them. But yeah, it's tough when... Those major teams are—they have higher RPIs because they're only playing better Correct. teams. So it, yeah. it seems like there's always the benefit of the doubt given to the bigger programs, and never to the the mid majors because why why give you a chance if they can have one instead? Right.
2: Well, I think the focus has to be the top four teams. Like it's and not to take again anything away from those other teams during the the conference play. You are it's, you're focusing on all of them. You're promoting all of them. But when it gets to the point where it's recognizable who those top four teams are, men's, women's basketball. You, you really have to blow them up. You, you have to promote them. You have to sell them, and it's not taking away from these others. It's up to the universities then to sell their product and uh, us to get better if we're in that position. But I think that's what happens. It's, it's trying to get everybody the same, give them the same respect and the same uh, time, uh, marketing, promotion, whatever it may be, when if you just, I'll use again the A10 as an example in women's basketball. They're not worried about um, the, those teams that at the bottom and in most recent years, like Rhode Island, uh, whoever it may be, whose uh, RPI isn't good. They're they're talking about Dean. They're talking about GW mm-hmm. um, if it's Fordham at that time. And, and that's how it has to be. Even with us, like you have to hear, and we have to do a better job of. Uh, promoting these other teams, like Elon, what they've done. And you know, I'll say it's it's obvious that they've done a great job and mm-hmm. JM you're returning everyone. And we have to be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, with saying it. Because it's it's not helping if we're gonna sit here and be like, well, yeah, they didn't do so good. That's not helping us. So then if you beat them, it's even better. Sam. Yeah, we
1: should be playing up the accomplishments. Seems like yes. ja- it seems like James Madison might be destined for a national ranking this year. Maybe you never know. I mean, they were really good last year, right. and they're returning everyone. So, oh yeah, um, maybe At, that. And Sam and
2: I have been on the uh, the committee for the rankings, and this is our first year. I think in five that we're not that expired. But yeah, we were all about you know finding those teams in the mid major, and look what Buffalo did last year. Yeah, you know, Sweet Sixteen, and. and uh, Eastern Michigan, so and we had teams, in there yeah, we ranked uh, or yeah, we would uh, put Elon in there. You you look at it, uh, they're doing great things. They're in the top thirty, you know, RPI at that point. So it it's got everyone has to see this, and yeah, the conference itself has to, and it's on the the men's end as well. I just feel like with losing some of those name schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they've lost the idea of these teams are really doing well, they're doing some great stuff let's get it out there nationally, yeah. and we have the ability to do that now, it's not just conversations uh, that people are having, it's again social media, it might be overwhelming at times, but it's it's red, you know, you're seeing it, you're hearing about it.
0: That's great yeah. um, I know you have a meeting at 10, uh, so we don't want to keep you too much longer, but any last thoughts on your side?
2: Well, this is great. I, yeah. I really appreciate you guys. I, I appreciate everything that uh, you've done for uh, Drexel Athletics, Drexel Basketball especially. I, mean, I laugh every time I uh, see Marshall. I just think of that, the run in 09 with the uh, blonde wig, the Brooklyn <laughs> <laughs> So any opportunity to talk uh, Drexel Basketball is it's special for me and for you, you guys to just have the passion and love that you do yeah. for the sport. Yeah, but we're, we're excited. We're excited for this year. You know, we have a lot, uh, a lot of work ahead, but that's how it should be. You know, a lot to learn, and uh, we have the group who's willing to do it. So I, I think uh, uh, people are going to enjoy this group, uh, yeah. this team. You know, we have uh, some new faces, and uh, they can add a lot to the table, but... Uh, they're a team, and I think so many of our teams, they're a team you want to cheer for, you want to root for. So we uh, really want the best, and that's up to us to guide them along and figure out how to make them look good out there.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. November 9th, mm-hmm. opening game, Quinnipiac. Uh, yes. 7 o'clock at the DAC. That's Be right. there. Come again on that Sunday, and yeah. let's give the women's team the support they deserve. Fantastic. Pack the DAC. Thanks again to Coach Dillon for joining us on this episode, and to Sports Information Director Sam Angel for coordinating to make it happen. And of course, thanks to my co-host Bill Tor for joining me on this interview. Denise's team opens up the season with two home games this weekend, Friday at 7 p.m. against Quinnipiac and Sunday at 2 p.m. against city rival St. Joe's. Eagles don't play until that night, so you've got plenty of time to see them both. Hopefully we'll see you there.